Today's the last message in uh, this series that we've been calling The Blessed Life. And uh, I, I really appreciate all of you who have shared with me what God is doing in your lives as you walk in obedience and follow the Lord in this, this stuff. Uh, so many of you have shared with me uh, that, that you feel like the Lord has been challenging you in the area of tithing or the area of generosity or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and when we started this series, I told you this is not my favorite subject to teach on, but uh, you guys have just ate it up. And I want to say thanks to all of you for responding so positively. Thank you for giving so generously. Those of you that have started tithing, uh, you know that in May we had a terrible, terrible budget deficit, and we have made that up, and we're in the clear. We're going to pay for free love and be able to give generously. And... Uh, and so thanks to all of you. And, uh, and I just want you to know that the Lord is doing some extraordinary things. Uh, Darla, where are you? Thank you. Darla's sitting right back there. And I asked Darla to share her story this morning, and she walked in and she said she's just too terrified to do it. So I will tell you her story. Three weeks ago, when I taught the first message on the blessed life, and I, and I just mentioned tithing in that message, uh, Darla shared with me that she had just felt so convicted in her spirit that the Lord wanted her to tithe and she didn't feel like she could. She just felt like she wouldn't have enough. But that Sunday she said, I'm going to start giving my first and my best to the Lord so he can bless the rest. And she did that Sunday and she did the next Sunday and last Sunday she tithed again. Every Sunday she's been tithing. And, uh, and unbeknownst to her, she came home uh, from a weekend trip was it a trip somewhere? You came home from somewhere. Pardon? Went to Idaho, came home this week, and checked her mail, and her paycheck was in there. She opened her paycheck, and here she'd been given a raise, and they hadn't even told her about that. So that's what God does. And some of you have talked to me, and, and you've said, you know, I, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared to give to God first because I won't have enough to eat. Or I won't be able to make my mortgage. Whatever. I want you to know that the Lord is faithful to his word. He absolutely is. And Darla's story is repeated again and again and again throughout our church family. And you can trust him to, to uh, bless you when you bless others. And when you honor him with your first fruits and that sort of a thing. So it's all good. It's all good. Today we're going we're gonna to turn a corner. And in this last in this last message, I'm going to share with you about the heart of serving. The heart of serving. And I know you've got donuts and drinks and all that kind of stuff, but uh, to begin with today, I want to jump right into the scripture, and, and I'm going to read a fairly long story, so I didn't put it up on the screen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, as we talk about the heart of serving. We've talked three weeks about generosity and giving. Now I want to talk about how you can live the blessed life as you follow the Lord in the area of serving. John chapter 13. Uh, this story takes place towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And if you read through the New Testament in 90 days with us earlier in the year, you will remember this very well. Uh, a powerful passage. And I want to start reading right at the beginning of the chapter if you've got your Bibles open. John 13. It says this, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
And that's really important for us to see. He now showed them the full extent of his love. So this story that follows, that we're going to read together, is one of the most significant stories, the most important stories, the most important acts that Jesus did before he was crucified. Verse 2 says, The evening meal was being served, and then the the storyteller goes on to talk about Judas. But I want to jump down to verse 4. The evening meal was being served, so, verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then it says this, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And it says in verse 6 that he came to Simon Peter, and Simon said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And, and you can even read, you can, you can kind of hear in Peter's voice the incredul, incred, I can't say that word. He was incredulous, thank you. Uh, you can hear that he's shocked that Jesus, his teacher, his rabbi, his master, is going to come to him and wash his feet. Simon immediately realized, really, he should be the one doing the foot washing, but Jesus is coming to him. So he says, are you going to do this? Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. But then Jesus answered this, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And so Peter has this attitude adjustment, and he says, Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter's always that impetuous guy that, you know, he's just all or nothing, right? And so he's ready for Jesus to give him a sponge bath. Not really my idea of a good time, but <laughs> evidently that's, Peter's okay with that. And Jesus said this, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew that Judas was going to betray him, and that's why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and he returned to his place. And he said this, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now look at this, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then verse 17 is the one that just brings it all together and hits us in the chest with a punch. Now that you know these things, you will be what? You will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know that you are called to wash one another's feet, now that you know that you are called to serve one another sacrificially, you will be blessed if you do them. I've talked with you for three weeks about the blessing of giving, but there's so much more to the blessed life than just giving and receiving and becoming more and more generous. There is an aspect of servanthood and learning to be generous with our time and, and becoming humble and serving other people that also leads to a very important part of the blessed life. Now, I want to put this story into context Because it's kind of interesting to know what was going on. If you've ever read the Gospels, you will remember that as 
the time went on that the disciples were spending with Jesus, you will remember that there came a time when they began to be pretty competitive with one another. You remember? And they were always trying to figure out, jostling for position, trying to figure out who's the greatest. And somebody's mother came along and was arguing for her son. And Jesus said, you know, it's really none of your business. And there's all this competition and rivalry that was going on. And these disciples, at this point in the story quite frankly, we're having a hard time getting along. There was a lot of bickering. There was a lot of jealousy. There were egos that were competing with one another. It, it kind of felt like this team of disciples was falling apart, more or less. Have you ever come into a room when somebody was arguing and you have felt that awkward, uncomfortable thing when you come into a room and you know that there's just tension that you can cut with a knife? I, I think it was kind of like that in this room that the disciples were sharing dinner together. It was just tense. This last week, Chris and I uh, took an evening to go golfing with Colton Susie Fredrickson. And, uh, and as most of you know, we have a new puppy in our house. And we had, a, I think it was a 4 o'clock tea time. And uh, so we were racing around trying to get out of the house. And, and of course, just as soon as you're trying to get out of the house, the poopy, the poopy, the puppy... <laughs> The puppy poops on the rug. That's what happened. Or the poopy pups on the rug, whichever. But we're trying to get out of the house, and all of a sudden the puppy has an accident on the rug. And so then I'm trying to, you know, discipline the puppy, tell him no, no, take him outside, got to clean up the, the poop, and, you know, and it just slowed us down. So once we got the puppy all taken care of and put away in his kennel, then uh, I go to load up our golf clubs, and we're flying around the garage. We're going to be late for our tea time, throw the clubs in the trunk, and I grabbed my golf shoes, threw them in the trunk. Chris's were sitting right next to mine, but I only grabbed my own for whatever reason. And we go driving off to the golf course, and we, we pull up, and we're getting out of the car. I'm, I'm lacing up my shoes, and Chris says, Russ, where are my golf shoes? She's wearing flip-flops. <laughs> If you're a golfer, you know how good flip-flops are to golf in. And I said, um, didn't you grab them? (laughs) There was this icy silence, you know, and, and then we exchanged a couple of words about how insensitive I was and that sort of thing. And she was mad because she didn't have her golf shoes. And our tea time was just now probably five minutes away. We had to go in and pay. We couldn't go back home. She was mad. And then I got mad because she was mad, you know. And I knew it was my fault, and I said I was sorry, but then I was mad. And here's Colt and Susie waiting for us to golf, you know, kind of going, fiddly you know. <laughs> so we, we walked into the clubhouse to pay, and I, I pulled Chris over into a corner, and I said, we just shouldn't golf. This isn't going to be a good day, and let's just go home. And Colt and Susie can golf by themselves. And, you know, I was, at this point, I'm just out of control. And, um, and Chris said, no, it's okay. I'll just golf in my flip-flops, no big deal. And I'm like, nope, we're going home. And, you know, people are walking by us in the pro shop, feeling that icy, you know, that, I, I mean, the whole shop was just filled with venom from the two of us, you know, just like this. Long story short, we golfed and we had a great day and Chris golfed a really good game in her flip-flops and she forgave me, right, sweetheart? (laughs) But it was that kind of iciness that I think was probably pervasive in this room where the disciples were having dinner with Jesus. And and here's, here's one of the scenarios that surely would have happened. 
You know, in Jewish culture in that first century, it was always customary to come into a room, especially for a meal, and you would come in and there was a basin and a towel, and the first thing that happened was somebody would wash your feet. It was usually a servant that served the household, and especially if there was a big dinner party, there were at least 13 people here at this dinner party. And if you came in, there would be a servant there that would wash your feet, and for some reason, at this dinner party, there was no designated foot washer. And I don't know if, if there was just not enough money to hire a servant. I don't, I don't know what the scenario was, but nobody was washing feet. But there was a basin and a towel there. And I can just imagine as the disciples filed in one at a time, they walk past that basin and they think, hmm, nobody to wash feet. Well, I suppose that Thomas ought to wash our feet because, you know, he doesn't really have the best faith, so he's probably down here, but I'm not going to wash the feet. Or, or maybe... One of the disciples might have said, you know that Peter, he's kind of a hothead. He could learn some humility. Maybe he can wash our feet. Or maybe somebody might have said, you know, there's some of these disciples that are kind of forgettable people like Bartholomew and Nathaniel, and nobody's going to name a book of the Bible after them. Maybe they can wash their feet. They're kind of, they're not as good as the rest of us that have the important names. But they all file in and nobody washes anybody's feet. And in Jewish culture, this was unacceptable. You don't sit down at a meal with dirty feet because you've got all that dust and crud that's just floating around and it's unsanitary. But nobody was going to stoop down to be the foot washer because it was below their station in life. But who said, I'll get the job done? It was Jesus. He stepped up to the plate and he said, I will do it. I will serve. I will serve. Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to see here. One is the timing of this event. This was the last time that Jesus was going to spend a significant amount of time with his disciples teaching them before he would go to his death. And these disciples, these 12 bickering, unhappy men who couldn't seem to get anything right, were about to be commissioned to go out and take the gospel to the world. And at this juncture, Jesus said, I've got something really important that you've got to figure out. And it's almost as if he were saying, boys, if you don't get this, I don't think you're going to get anything. It was that important. And it was critical for Jesus. I can remember so vividly uh, when I first began to understand the importance of serving and laying down my life and taking the role of a servant. Um, I, was, I was raised in a family that uh, recognized that I had musical talents and musical gifts early on in my life, and I was eight years old when I started taking piano lessons. And, and my parents were very eager to give me all the musical training that I could, I could get. I took piano lessons, I took trumpet lessons, I took voice lessons, I was in bands and choir and all this kind of stuff. And I was always performing. And uh, as, a, as a young piano player, my, my parents would enter me in recitals and competitions and, and any, anything that I could do to perform. I was always sitting on a piano bench in, in front of an audience and I thrived on that. I loved to perform. And in fact, my mom will, will tell the story to this day that she never could figure out. I hated practicing. I hated sitting in an empty room practicing. And she would worry whenever there was a recital or anything coming up because I wouldn't get ready for it. But then I'd get on stage in front of an audience and all of a sudden this music would just flow out of me and drove her crazy because she couldn't understand that. But I loved to perform. And I decided 
as a senior in high school that I wanted to go to Bible college and I wanted to serve as a, as a music leader in a church. And so that was the area that I got my education in, graduated from Bible college and went to my first pastoral position in Boise, Idaho. And, and I had huge responsibility in that church. It was a very large church. We had a choir of about 120 people that I was responsible for and an orchestra and worship team. I taught in the Christian school. and There was just so much to be done. And, and so much of my job I hated because at that point in my life, all I really wanted to do was perform. I just wanted to hear, I just wanted people to hear me sing and play the piano and I didn't want to mess with all this other stuff. I really wasn't interested in empowering other people to exercise their gifts. I wanted to be the star of the show. And so that job didn't last really long for me, you know, because I was really self-preoccupied. And I resigned that position in Boise and uh, landed in Seattle and I was uh, recording some music and traveling, doing mini- music ministry, uh, where I could be the star of the show, the, the performer. And I did that for quite a while. And while I was living in Seattle, one of my best friends was a youth pastor in a great church there in Seattle. And I got involved with their young adults group. And in that young adults group, they began to go through some discipleship training, and I just immersed myself in that group. At this point, I, I was an ordained pastor. I was a Bible school graduate. I, I had some experience under me, but, but honestly, nobody had ever effectively discipled me. And I began going to this young adults discipleship group, and we began walking through some really heavy books teaching and training us how to be more and more like Jesus. The first book that I remember us going through was called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Many of you have probably read that book. And uh, that book began to change me as I began to discover that by developing certain habits in my life, I could experience God's presence and I could really, for the first time in my life, experience real transformation from the inside out. And then Jay, our our leader, one day brought us a book called The Jesus Style. Have any of you ever read The Jesus Style? Probably the most important book that I've ever read in my life. And it was was a short book, but it was taken from Philippians chapter 2 that says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who though he was God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself to be a servant. And as we worked through that book as a group, I realized that I had to start serving people for the first time in my life. I was probably 25, 26 years old, and for the first time it dawned on me, I can't be the star of my own show. I've got to start laying down my life and serving people. It was a revolutionary thing for me to to have this this realization that this is what God calls every one of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. He calls us to lay down our lives and serve others. Shortly after that, I moved back to Montana, and I found my way to uh, the church in Great Falls that I served for a very long time. And and I had this, this new revelation that I was called to serve. And so I threw myself into anything that I could just to serve And I didn't know it at the time, but I was very fortunate to work uh, for a pastor who understood servanthood very well. 
And he modeled it for me like no one had ever modeled it before. I can remember many times, even though the church was fairly large, I can remember many times showing up early on a Sunday morning to get ready and and our senior pastor in his suit and tie was out shoveling snow off the walks, you know. And he didn't call one of the deacons. He didn't call somebody else to come and get that snow off the walks. He just did it. Why? Because he was a servant. I can remember pulling up to that church and finding another snow shovel and following him and, you know, trying to keep up because I I wanted to serve. As much as he served, I wanted to serve more. I'd had this revolutionary shift in the way I saw myself and in the way I saw my mission in my life. My mission was to serve. Then, short time later, we launched a program in our church called Master's Commission. Many of you have heard of that around the country. And we began to disciple young men and women. And, and so much of it was servanthood-based. But it revolutionized my approach to life as I learned to serve. And this is one of the things that I learned. I learned about the heart of serving. I learned about the heart of serving. I learned that if I don't learn to serve in secret... It's very unlikely that I will ever serve in public, all right? If you're taking notes today, you can write that down. I think that's the first thing in your, on your note cards that you can write down. If you don't learn to serve in secret, you will never serve in public. This is what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, was that if you want to be a leader, you have to learn to be a servant, Because leadership is completely ineffective if it's all about you. If it's all about Russ, then my leadership will be completely ineffective. But if if I can be a servant and lay down my life for everybody else, then with God's grace, I will be an effective leader. Do you understand what I'm saying? I learned that if I don't serve, it would be impossible for me to be a good husband. If I don't learn to serve, it would be impossible for me to be a good employee. If I don't learn to serve, it would be impossible for me to be a Christ-like leader or to be a good pastor or even to be a good volunteer or to be a good small group leader, a young adults pastor, anything. If I can't serve, if I can't lay down my own wants and desires, it's impossible to be effective at any kind of leadership. And I want to ask you the question this morning, how is your heart to serve? Where are you at in this whole thing? How is your heart to serve? Is it something that God has, has uh, coaxed out of you in some way where, where you realize that you just want to lay down your life and make sure that you can make life better for all the people around you? Or are you more like that person, that, like those disciples, that just feels like there's people who are less important than you that can do those nasty jobs? How is your heart to serve? I want you to see three things that Jesus did in this story. And if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Jesus did three things that I think we need to learn from. And the first thing is this. He got up from the table. He got up from the table. And the application for us is that you have to be willing to get involved. There's a time to sit at the table. There's a time to come to church and, and feast on the Word and drink the milk of the Word and, and nourish yourself. And there's other times that it's better for you to get up from the table and begin to serve. But you've got to be willing to get involved. Last week, uh, at the end of our, 
our message time, uh, as I was walking out the door, somebody came up to me and handed me a $100 bill. And, you know, we've been creating this atmosphere and, uh, of generosity. It just, just excites me. And somebody came up, gave me a $100 bill, and he said, Here, Russ, the Holy Spirit told me that somebody's going to need this $100 today. And I said, Well, who is it? And he said, I, I don't know. You'll have to figure that out. <laughs> so... And so I stuck that $100 bill in my pocket, and I was walking around after the service last Sunday. Some of you will be disappointed that you didn't come and tell me how badly you needed money, right? (laughs) But I was walking around trying to discern, and I'm kind of praying, Lord, who is it that needs this $100? And everybody left. We got this place cleaned up and put away, and Chris and I went home, and I didn't give that $100 bill to anybody. So I called the guy up, and I said, what do you want me to do with this money? The Holy Spirit didn't show me anybody. And he said, well, maybe it'll be Sunday night. Just take it to Sunday night, and... And if you don't find somebody, then just put it in the offering. And I said, okay. So we went to the Sunday night service down at the Baxter, and uh, we had bigger than normal attendance. We had some people that uh, hadn't been there for a while, and it was a good service. And I'm walking around thinking, Lord, who, who should I give this $100 to? And nobody, you know, I don't hear anything. And I'm like, well, either I didn't hear right or he didn't hear right. Or I don't know what the deal is. So, uh, so, but I knew that the Holy Spirit had spoken. And so I just kept that $100 bill in my pocket and I went home and, and I just figured I'll just see what happens as the week goes by. And uh, Monday morning, uh, Chris was on Facebook and she said, man, we've got some birthdays in our church this week. And, and a lot of times we'll get on Facebook and we'll say happy birthday to whoever has a birthday. But uh, Al Garcia was one of the guys on Monday. It was his birthday. And I just felt a prompting in my spirit to call Al up and say happy birthday to him. And I don't always do that, but for whatever reason, I just felt like I needed to call Al. So I called him up. I said, Al, happy birthday. And he said, oh, Pastor Russ, I'm having a terrible day. And I said, Al, what's the matter? And he said, "Uh, well, I'm having these medical problems, and he's had surgery, and he's had complications from the surgery, and his insurance wasn't going to cover the the complications. He said, Russ, I don't have any money to pay I don't even have the money for gas to get to the doctor. And I said, you know what? I have a $100 bill in my pocket that somebody gave me. And Al and I got together, and I kicked in a little bit of my own money to give him a little bit of extra. And, and, and here's what I, what I thought of after that scenario. Um, I was so thankful for that generosity that came because so often people come to me and they say, Pastor Russ, I have a need. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And, and every once in a while we're praying and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I think prayer is very, very important. But in this situation, this guy doesn't need prayer. He needs practical help, you know? And this was a scenario when, when Al called me and he, he needed money and I was so thankful that there was a surplus of money that I could bless him with because he didn't need my prayer nearly as much as he just needed practical help. And somebody last Sunday had gotten up from the table and had gotten involved instead of just sitting at the table and feasting and saying, wow, wasn't church good today? He got up from the table. Here's the second thing Jesus did. After he got up from the table, he stooped down. He stooped down. And here's the application for us. Just like Jesus, we have to be willing to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. I can just imagine as Jesus was making his way around that room that night, washing the disciples' feet. Jesus being God, he already knew what was going to happen. 
He knew that every one of these disciples was going to use those feet to run away from him. And knowing the flakiness and the insecurity and the lack of commitment and the lack of follow-through in those 12, 24 feet that he was washing, it would be easy for any other leader to go, I'm not washing his feet, he's, he's unfaithful. But Jesus didn't just see the feet that would someday run away, but he saw the feet that eventually would carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when he knelt down, when he stooped down to wash those feet, he didn't just see the feet as they were that day. He saw the feet as they would be someday in the future. And here's one of the keys to becoming humble and serving other people. So often we feel like we're unwilling to serve people who are unworthy of our service. But we have to remember that in our humility and washing feet and serving other people as unworthy as they may be, we are serving the potential of greatness in these people. Someday this person that you are serving may become a world changer if they're anything like these 12 disciples that that Jesus washed the feet of. And sometimes we've got to ask God to help open our eyes to see the potential in people because so often we are called to serve people that aren't very attractive to us. They've offended us. They've hurt us. They've betrayed us, whatever it is. And yet Jesus calls us to serve and see beyond the immediacy of the here and now. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves. I want you to know today, if you're sitting here, and you feel unworthy. Maybe you're one of these people that has been unfaithful. You've blown it. You've done stupid things. You've rebelled against God. I want you to know this morning that there is a second chance. There's a life for you ahead because Jesus stooped down low. And there's such a powerful message in knowing that Jesus was willing to humble himself. Philippians 2 says, even to death, death on a cross, Jesus stooped that low. Nothing was too low for Jesus to stoop down to. And that's why we can come to him in full confidence of knowing that he will transform us. Here's the third thing. Jesus got up from the table. He stooped down. And then he gave these disciples the texture of the towel. He gave them the texture of the towel. He was wiping their feet with a towel and it wasn't silk it wasn't satin. He wasn't robing them in, in beauty and luxury. You know, I love nothing more than a big, thick, fat, terry cloth towel when I get out of the shower. You like that? In fact, if it just came out of the dryer and Chris brings it to me, that's the best, right? I doubt that that's the kind of towel that Jesus was using. I don't think terry cloth even existed in that time of, of, of history. It was probably more like a piece of burlap, just whatever would be absorbent. And instead of clothing the disciples with glory and beauty and comfort, he was giving them the texture of the towel because they needed to understand that ministry and being on mission was going to get messy and it was going to be uncomfortable. It was going to be difficult and challenging. And here's the application for us. If you're going to be on mission for Jesus, if you're going to be on this mission of helping people reconnect to God, you're going to have to be willing to get messy. You're going to have to be willing to get messy. 
There's plenty of churches, and I've been part of them. There's plenty of churches that uh, make sure that everything is neat and clean and, and whitewashed and pretty for everybody to look at. But churches and groups of people that are really on mission, helping people reconnect with God, get comfortable with being messy. They get comfortable with being messy. Let, let me illustrate. Uh, last Sunday, if you were worshiping with us, you know that the family Morales was on our, in, in our band, and they were serving, and, and Sadie and Scotty and their son Isaiah. Isaiah was playing drums, and Scotty and Sadie are believers, and, and they've jumped into Connect Church, and they're serving well, but Isaiah has not yet made a commitment to follow Jesus. And we have said from the beginning of starting Connect Church that it's okay for people to belong before they believe. And so we've welcomed Isaiah to play drums with our team because he's listened to Christian music all, all week long. He's rubbing shoulders with good Christian people. And, and, and his parents are just ecstatic because they, they so want Isaiah to come to know Christ. But sometimes when you're working with people that aren't believers, yet things get a little bit messy, Right? And last Sunday night, we had finished our music time. I was teaching. I was just getting to that part where I'm all wound up, and I'm just going to hit you in the face, you know, with my biblical fist, you know. Got people in the palm of my hand. And all of a sudden, Isaiah comes in from the side door, walks behind me. I'm trying to keep everybody's attention. I see everybody's eyes go to Isaiah. He's just sauntering in, walking behind me. Walks over to the drums, grabs a drum, picks it up, and walks back out of the room. I'm like, what in the world was that? And I said, is that drum broken or something? He just waved at me and walked out. (laughs) Completely disrupted my message. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter. We just kept going. Afterwards, I found out that he was out in the hallway talking to one of the other band members, and he was trying to demonstrate a new rhythm that he'd learned. And he said, hang on, I'll just go get a drum so I can show you. Now, if it wasn't okay for us to get messy, I would have said, now, if you're going to be on our worship team, you can never behave like that again. And he'd probably give me the bird and walk out and we'd never see him again, right? But Jesus gave his disciples the texture of the towel, and and the texture of the towel means sometimes things are messy and things aren't pretty and people don't behave perfectly all the time because they're in process of coming to know Jesus, and sometimes the process is messy. And, And... You know what? The goal, the end result, is that this young man someday is going to put his faith in Jesus Christ. I'm I'm just confident of it. And I'm willing to put up with whatever. I don't care. Because I'm trying to lead him to Jesus. And that's what the texture of the towel is. I want to ask you again this morning, what what is your heart to serve? Where are you at? Are, Are you a person that can get up from the table today and begin serving? Are you somebody who can stoop down and take a place of humility? Are you a person that can embrace the texture of the towel, drop the silk and the satin and the robes of comfort, get your hands messy as we work with people that are coming to Jesus? You will be blessed. Now that you know this, Jesus said, you will be blessed if you will serve. I want to wrap up this morning in this way, and it seems kind of awkward, uh, but I, I just want to put some legs to this stuff, okay? And, and I'm sharing with you the, the heart of a servant, uh, because I hope that Jesus will, will change your hearts, but I also hope that many of you, for the first time maybe, 
will get up from the table and begin serving. And we have so many areas at Connect Church that we need volunteers desperately. And Jesus may not be calling you to serve here at Connect Church, but Jesus may be calling you to serve your children or your parents or your co-workers and change this selfishness and, and change your attitude. I, I believe that servanthood is going to pervade every area of your life if, if you really get this concept and start walking full on with Jesus. But I, I just want some of our ministry team leaders to come and, and share and, uh, and share with you some of the areas that we have need. So John, Shoney, Jen, Amy, Chris, would you come real quickly? And, uh, and I've got some others. We have some of our leaders who can't be here. Uh, but they'll just share briefly with you some of the areas of ministry. John, you want to start us? Uh, where we need some, some servants to help. I know one of the things that I just love getting to do every week, uh, usually we show up here about 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning with a crew of guys, and we just start hauling equipment over. I say guys in the uh, gender-neutral term. Um, we just start hauling equipment in and getting basically this thing set up. I know uh, Lloyd comes and helps every week as a major help. Um, I know I've got just a couple other people who are just this amazing uh, Keith Price, who's just this awesome, you know, helped every week just doing stuff, uh, hauling trailers and just hauling and setting this up so that we can make this happen. Um, if there's more people who'd be willing to kind of help to spread that load, we'd love that uh, so we can spread that around a little bit to have more people to be able to uh, take the burden off other people too. So, yeah. Bear down. Okay, perfect. Amy leads our littlest friends. Who doesn't want to rock babies? <laughs> Do I need to say something else? No. Um, just volunteers to help um, with the nursery so that everybody doesn't get overwhelmed. You know, uh, many hands make light work. Well said. Shoni. So I have a couple different things. I normally help with cleanup, which is washing windows, sweeping and mopping, vacuuming, and cleaning bathrooms, which none of those are very often fun things. And I must say that I really appreciate Dan and Lynn and their commitment to vacuum, although they would be glad to give that up at some point and not do it every single week. Um, and it's packing up chairs, and it's not a quick time commitment, but we've been getting out one one fifteen. And it's just packing up chairs, making sure that they're in the prayer room, chair room, and then vacuuming. And sweeping and mopping is sweeping and mopping, and it really doesn't take that long. Washing windows is even quicker, unless there's little handprints all over them, and then you just wash with a married heart. And (laughs) sometimes you go, Um, And then bathrooms are generally pretty quick and pretty easy, generally being the keyword. And if you're interested in being a small group leader, I encourage you to be involved in a small group because that's where our small group leaders come from and your small group leaders recommend you from out of there. So that's what I have to say. Say anything? I'll comment in a second. Okay. Um, I actually need an extra team on a, when I have a fifth Sunday on hospitality. I need an extra team that can stand in. It's like every three months we have a fifth week. And it's hard, I mean, our hospitality team has been serving for a couple years now, and same with our greeting team. So to, to do another Sunday is kind of a lot. So I just need a couple to stand in once every three months or something, or even be an alternate if one of our teams can't show up. And also greeting hit and miss. I just need an alternate that say, call me if your team can't be there. So Hospitality is the people that serve food, yep. and the greeters, and the greeters really are the people at the door. And clean up, yep. Mm-hmm. So that's it. How's that? Perfect. Thank you. You look so nice in your t-shirt. $14. $14, yes. <laughs> Jen. Um, Jen is our, our Kids Connect, Connect Kids team leader. 
Anyway, we have we do have some great teams in our um, Drake uh, classes over here, little friends and friends. But um, we do need some uh, helpers. Um, I need an August team for friends, which is the great school uh, department. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And um, I need a helper for Ernie, who is going to be teaching in November. Uh, also, some sub helpers would be nice. And then um, for our little friends, um, I need uh, some helpers, uh, a helper in November, and possibly some others. That's the three and a half age to kindergarten. So if you are interested in helping with kids' ministry, please see me. Absolutely. It's a wonderful age group to work with. Yes. So enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. I don't even want to acknowledge that November exists. <laughs> I appreciate Jen so much because she's so organized and she's planning November. I, I, <laughs> Summer, right? Let me just be candid with you for just a moment and then uh, the band's going to come and we're going we're to worship. Uh, but let me just be candid with you. I have conversations periodically with people who have great hearts to serve and they, they've connected to this church and they've given of themselves and And what typically happens, because they're servants by nature, and they just want to give and give and give of their time and their energy, uh, they end up being here every Sunday doing the same jobs again and again and again. It's like they own it, okay? I could name names. Um, Dan and Lynn are are one of them. They vacuum this place every single week. Uh, Shoni's another one. You know, she's part-time Connect Church staff, but it's not in her job description to clean bathrooms and mop the floors and clean the windows. She just does that because she has the heart of a servant. She's done that for almost four years, just because she has a heart of a servant. But she does it every single week unless she happens to have some help on a given week. And, and the conversations I have so often is that these people get tired and they feel guilty because they know there's nobody to step in and take their jobs. And so they get to the point of just burnout. Sometimes they just quit the church altogether because they feel like they've been used and abused and misused overused, and uh, who was it that said many hands make light work? Amy said that. Amy's another one. You've been in the nursery week after week after week for a long period of time. Amy has a heart to serve, but she needs some help. Uh, can we all get to the point of having a heart to serve? Can we, can we all help? Can we serve? Can we make the decision that we're not going to walk past the basin and the towel, and let somebody else do it. You understand what I'm saying? So if you're already serving someplace, this is not a guilt trip that I'm trying to put on you to try to squeeze more out of you. This is a call for those of you that haven't yet gotten up from the table and stooped low. Will you serve? Uh, If it's a yes, uh, you can talk to any of our leaders. I'd encourage you to do that. Or you can mark it on your connection card, and we'll make sure somebody gives you a call this week. Uh, but you will be blessed if you put this into action in your life. I guarantee it. So bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so inspired by who you are. And over the last four weeks, Jesus, we have, we have seen your love in action in so many ways. You are the picture of generosity. You gave yourself as a sacrifice for our sins. 
Jesus, you washed the disciples' feet even though you are the one who created those feet. You stooped low to serve. And Jesus, so many of us in this room want to ask you to change our hearts from hearts that are self-preoccupied into hearts that will humble ourselves and give and serve and bless others. And Lord, I ask you that you will bless people who serve so deeply, Lord. Um, For the people that have given sacrificially and have gone way beyond the call of duty, I pray that you will bless them. And for every person that today is going to say, I'm going to step up, will you bless them? And Lord, will you help us to stay as a church? Will you help us to stay on mission and serve so that more people can reconnect to God? Lord, we just want to be faithful to help people reconnect to God. So we love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. I just feel like I want to read this passage from Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Let me just wrap up and then we'll sing. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5, says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's stand together and sing.